You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm speaking with Lewis Black. This episode was recorded live at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, Canada, uh, shortly before, oh, when was it? August? End of July? Something like that. And uh, I was so pleased to have Lewis as my guest. Uh, he is, as you will hear, a powerful uh, orator, orator, I believe they pronounce it in America, and probably over here as well. I've not done the research. Um, but he's a really, he's one of those force of nature performers and, and human beings as well. You'll hear about some of the extraordinary things he's done with his life um, and this was uh, a live uh, recording as part of the comedy pro strand at just for laughs so thank you very much to zoe and robbie and everyone there uh, for having me without further ado this is the wonderful the incandescent lewis black it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome uh, an absolute giant of comedy would you please welcome with warm appreciation the wonderful lewis black Lewis, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I think we should start with... I, I'm going to assume a certain amount of knowledge of your career amongst listeners to this, to this show and people in the room. There's some people nodding in very vigorous fashion. Yeah. Um, you produce an incredible amount of... Uh, I, I hate, always hate to use the word content, but we've just been chatting to Ben, who looks after your online stuff. Yeah. You, you tour ceaselessly... You have released numerous DVDs, comedy albums. You are now, I've just found out, you're, you live stream the last 25 minutes of your tour shows. Yeah. You are putting an incredible amount of stuff into the world. Yeah. The point at which I'd like to start is the email you sent me when you agreed to be on this podcast, in yeah. which you said, I've got it, and I'm, I, I'm desperately tempted to do an impression of you, yeah. but I'm going to try and resist that <laughs> temptation. Um, you said, yeah, that'll be fine. I've got nothing else to do during the day. I've got to get ready for the gala where I have to chop out 10 minutes of my goddamn 75-minute act, and it's not going to make any sense. It's going to be completely out of context. So, yeah, it'd be great to take my mind off it. So, which I thought was as... as Beautiful an introduction to Lewis Black as I might have been <laughs> lucky to receive. It's true. Talk to me about the gala tonight. Let's let's focus on that because it is not in your nature to do ten minute spots anymore. Well, it was never in my nature. I learned comedy by doing it long form, um, meaning that I would I would do I was I would I didn't go to clubs. Uh, I was working in theater. You know, I was, uh, I was I was a playwright and. Um, 
and uh, acting a little and doing that sort of thing. And uh, I would um, I would find theater spaces that weren't being used. And at the time I was in New York, there was a, there, there was a lot of spaces going empty. And uh, and once every month or so, I would trundle on up to a and, and do a sh- do like forty to fifty minutes. And uh, and what was interesting is I probably really didn't even have 10 good minutes. Okay. And uh, so I never, and from the very, I mean, it was, since never going to a club, I never understood the whole thing. I was doing, I was doing stuff in between like uh, folk singers and things, anywhere I could find a niche to just get up and do it. And I was, I was doing it kind of like as a hobby. And, um, and so it was the, 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 so it, 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 as it evolved, and as I kind of when I first when I first went on the road, I was a middle act for which um, you do like twenty five thirty minutes. Uh, that lasted maybe five shows, and then I became a headliner. And um, and and I don't. I, I, it never interested me that the, the, to to do the. Everybody was trying to come up with the five minutes for TV. Mm-hmm. You know the little five minute bit. And I just never had an interest in a in a five minute bid. I didn't know how to craft it at that point. I'd kind of gone, I'd kind of sailed beyond it. Only in the sense, and not that there's not, and not that I admire that ability. I think it's extraordinary. Um, but I I found that I mean I was going on stage and just saying I pick somebody like you know uh, you know like if it was Nixon at the time and I'd just go off and then just talk and talk and talk. And that might be funny, and that wasn't in that. Um, and so, uh, so you know, so as it's, it's evolved, it's I, I, I prefer to do, you know, it's, it's longer things. I try to kind of, if, if if all is really right, to create a through line in the time that I'm on stage and tell a story uh, of sorts. In uh, and and so I'm not really looking for the five minutes. I mean, I've had one uh, that I did. That I went, ah, that's it, and I can finally go do that. And then I went, oh, get me on TV, I can do this. And that, that was a bit about, I did this bit on Starbucks. Okay. The Starbucks across from the Starbucks. That was in Houston, Texas, I saw it one day. It was the end of the universe, <laughs> is what I defined it as. And so it actually fell out as five minutes. Um, so when I, now you come here, and, and it's easier for me to get up. And do seventy-five minutes than, yes. than it is for me to get up and do twelve because now I got a snip. So what? If, first off, what do you take? What do you take from the thing? If you're doing this chunk to get to that chunk to get to this chunk to get to that chunk, and they're all all these chunks you've kind of you know in your own diluted fashion think you know kind of uh, create this arc. Uh, what do I take from each chunk that makes sense? So. Uh, and then it's it's twelve minutes, and uh, and that so what what essentially I call it was I was serving what when I when I do a show let's do this is just a, it would be if I do seventy five minutes it's like serving a dinner yes okay. right and this is like hey come to Lou Black's buffet okay and uh, and I don't like it because you don't remember I mean I was on stage last night uh, at Club Soda. And I and I'd done this the set once when I I'd, I'd opened for Kathleen I'd figured out what the set would be. This is twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. And with Kathleen it was like fifteen, um, uh, and then it 
And then I got it to 12 for club soda. But, but, but I literally came up to a thing. I'd done a, I've done this hundreds of times already and came to the end of the bit. And I, nothing. What's next? You mean well, you, you couldn't remember it? Or I couldn't it even, no I remember the end of the bit. Yeah. Because that bit followed from three other things before my brain going, you know, so that's what gets that, you know, gets me to say the end of the bit. Is, is there an extent to which you, as a performer who I think most people would, would see that anger is your kind of primary vehicle on stage, is, is there something whereby you need time to build up a head of steam? No, that I don't need time. <laughs> well, you have... What, I, what I've been really enjoying in watching your, some DVDs of yours recently is you will often set the tone immediately yeah. with one line. There's always, when, I, when we were sound checking earlier on, I was uh, indulging myself with an impression of you uh, doing the sound check and coming up and going, uh, well, you folks must have had a shitty winner. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you were you, like... One of your shows recently, you, you started, I think it was um, Old Yeller, begins with you saying, well, I would love to see... Everyone gives you this incredible ovation at the beginning of the yeah. show. And I think your opening line of that entire 75-minute performance is, I would love to see the show that you think you're going to see. <laughs> and that, there is something so weary about that. You've just established exactly who you are, how you relate to us. Those kind of... Um, you have this kind of this quality of ju- which I think you see in some more experienced comedians, where you understand us and what we're going through. So you could almost come and make a joke, like your opening line might be about how much the parking cost outside the yeah. theatre, whereas a lot of younger comics would come on and their opening joke would be about themselves. Yeah, do you know? You're yeah. like you're, you're very good at, at at putting onto at reading what our concerns are. Do you think yeah. that's true? I, I, I think that it's partly because I like, uh, I always like public speaking. So, and it was that transition from being someone who likes to get up in front of people and just, you know, bullshit to, uh, to stand up was a really long road, weirdly enough. But I've always, uh, felt like I could, you know, much like Donald Trump, I could sense, sense the temperature of a room. Uh, I mean, you learn that, in, you, I mean, probably in, in school because you've ended up in comedy, you've learned that ability early on when you're sitting in the, your desk and, and it's the, either the boredom level or the tension level is in the room is getting intolerable. And, and you're waiting and waiting and then the teacher says something or someone says something and then you get to make, you get to burst the bubble of the tension or you get to burst the boredom bubble. And that's, I just kind of was comfortable with that. So when you were doing those early shows, they weren't being billed as stand-up when you were jumping on and doing sections. Did you regard yourself as a stand-up? Did you see yourself in a, in a school of, like, the stand-ups at that time? Uh, no, I, did, I just saw myself as, I would invite my friends and, and whoever they wanted to invite, and I just saw it as me getting stuff off my chest. And w- when you were inviting someone, though, would you say... Do you want to come and see me get some stuff off my chest, or would you call it some stand-up? Uh, no, I'd say this is my this is my stand-up. Okay, I would call it stand-up. I'd stu- I mean, I'd studied. I'd not, study would be the wrong word, but I'd listened to a ton of stuff. I was always, okay. but I was always fascinated by it. It always fascinated me, and I was surrounded by really funny people. I mean, a lot of my friends were funnier than I was, and uh, so I always found it intriguing. There's, there's something that come, c- comes up on this show from time to time, which is that very often the 
person who becomes a professional stand-up wasn't the funniest kid in their class. They were the second funniest kid in their class. Yeah. Because the funniest kid was just happy being the funniest kid and then went off and became an architect. Yeah. And actually, it was the second funniest. He was like, I want what he's got. <laughs> Would you, did, you, did you fit into that? Do you think it's something? I, I, I just like being, you know, I, just, I was comfortable with my sense of funny, but there were people who really made me laugh harder. And since I wasn't aspiring to be in that, to be a stand-up, who the, you know, who in their right mind, seriously, goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to a bar and stand up uh, in front of people who are just getting ready to vomit, and, <laughs> and I'm going to make them laugh. So, uh, I mean, the theater was really what I was passionate about. Okay. I'm, I'm, which is psychotic. If yeah, is that, you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to repeat this because I repeat this all the time whenever I talk about theater. If you have a child and they want to be a playwright, kill your child. <laughs> Just kill them. It's, it's much easier if they, they'll come back again, I believe in that, and then they'll go on and do something that really uh, isn't as frustrating and as painful. That's very funny. What's at the heart of that? What do you, what do you mean by that? Working in theater... Um, working in theater for starters in, in the United States is I, cause I really don't know the British experience, uh, of theater, but I went to th- like a major, I went to the Yale school of drama and, uh, which is a major, you know, Meryl Streep went there and Sigourney Weaver and Hootie Ha and Freddie DeBobo and all of the greats. And, um, I wanted uh, I, uh, so I, my, the playwriting thing to me, you know, so, but, but literally working in theater, it, it was, it was to me like working, was being in an abusive orphanage. You, you just treated, you, you treated miserably, uh, you know, either, you know, either you get up, you finally get a play on. And this is stuff you don't realize when you're younger, because it all is like, oh, God, we're going to sing and dance, and it's going to be so much fun. And we're going to do the show right here. And then you find out that your lead actress, you know, is uh, is severely depressed and has a problem, or your director's psychotic, that there really is, because a lot of the thing in theater is there's there's a chunk of the theater that's like an outpatient clinic. Okay. They really are. These people, there's their problems. This is where they live. They can give great performances, but to get them to that performance is like, oh, my God. And as a writer, the the real difficulty there, finally the way in which I've been able to really describe it and it makes sense is that uh, people, if if you imagine, writing a play is as if you imagine you had a thousand-piece puzzle of a blue sky. And... (laughs) And that was it. There's no, it's just all blue. So you can get the border. And about after a year of sitting there putting these things together, you can get about 70% of the, of the sky. And then you can take a, a hammer is what happens about, a, about, about by the seventh or eighth month. You take the hammer and you just start putting the pieces together. And you start smashing the pieces together till they all fit. So then you have this thing that is just, it's kind of a smashed up, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's all smashed up and it's sitting there. And, and, and literally that's, that's what writing a play is like. And so <laughs> it's why when you go to see a new play, and you and you come out, you go, wow, that was a piece of shit. <laughs> Could, using that analogy, how do you see writing an hour of or writing seventy-five minutes of a stand-up show in that analogy? 
Well, the great thing is, is I can do it in public. And so I get immediate feedback. So I um, uh, am able to get, I go, oh, that won't work. This, I'm going to drop that. You know, I mean, it, 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 because they're, they're the great editors. So you, and it's just, you don't have to have six character voices and you don't need to worry that one of the voices is, doesn't, you know, I've got this play, it's a romantic comedy and a farce. And uh, there are a lot of young actors. In, this, in Britain, it wouldn't be a problem. You could basically, they could take this and they get, they get the style immediately. In the States, a lot of kids don't get it. So that, you know, the younger actors, you kind of got to bring along. And so, you, you, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with that, Kind of, which is, I'm talking about this because I've, I've had productions of it recently and gone to see them. And there's, you know, and so you're, you you might have written whatever is, you know, about 90%, let's say, of it really works, but you got these two actors who don't get the, the pace. So then you're going, no, 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 you got to come and say it faster, just say it faster. And, um, and they don't. And they, they're, and so the laugh gets lost. When I'm up there, it's just, me and the me and the audience in silence, and so I can hear. Uh, you, silence is where you hear the joke. That's where you really hear the joke. That's the. the it took a long time to be comfortable with silence. That, I think that's the toughest thing for a comic. I used to talk as I am right now, um, without taking a break, and just I would talk from the beginning of my act to the end of my act, and never pause. Because I was always afraid if I gave them one second to think, they would rush the stage and kill me. <laughs> so, so it took a long time to learn that. But it's easier now to do it that way. Because okay. what I'm doing in the end, and what I find really unbelievable uh, in terms of the gift the audience gives me, is, is they, they seem to know that I'm writing on stage. Yes. Okay. So is there, when you talk about, the, like, say, writing for six different voices in a play... Is it as satisfying when you've written a stand-up show as it would be when you've written a play? Or is it because it, because it sounds like you're saying writing a play is much harder. Is it, do you find it as satisfying to write stand-up? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, um, there's a real sense of satisfaction to it. The problems that I've always had with writing plays is just an aside to the, the trauma unit that I lived through. Uh, was that um, I took eight, it would be the equivalent, of, I, I did it in college, I, I was majored, I majored in a, a, a drama with an emphasis in playwriting, and then I went on to, to go to a drama school at Yale, and uh, not once did they ever teach plot. I want you to think about that, <laughs> because I realize that many of you don't go to the theater, um, and, uh, uh, and so the idea of plot is, uh, you know, it, well, what's, what's wrong if they don't teach plot? Because that's like teaching math without numbers. You, you know, it's unbelievable. It's like having, it's like showing you the subtract sign and then you say, well, what is that? And the teacher goes, I don't know. <laughs> they never taught plot. So if you don't have plot, you're always, it took a long time for me to understand. I, I, could, I understood the structure of a story. That I kind of understood. I did not understand how to get seven, eight people on a stage or three. Or, I, I've written plays, though, if I have two or three, I can kind of do it. Uh, but the real satisfaction comes 
that's the equivalent to me of, of stand-up, at least in terms of the whole experience, is when you, you put up a production and all the elements are there and everybody's on their game. Because then it's a communal experience. That's what I got in it for. Yes, okay. And then I go to the most lonely fucking island on earth. To, to, I go to stand-up. Um, that's where I end up. But, I mean, I really, that's what the draw to theatre is. And is that, when you talk about the elements of plot in a play, about having an understanding of story and an understanding of, of plot, do you apply that to your stand-up? When we talk about these sort of very sweeping shows that can't be cut down <laughs> easily into 10-minute sections, it's because they're part of it, you've created a wider narrative whereby things are resolved later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the playwriting of writing those, of sitting alone in a room, writing, I mean, I did this till I was 40. I mean, I spent uh, 22 years of my life writing plays. And, uh, I mean, long periods of time, you know, sitting there four to six hours a day, just going, what, you know, coming up with very little. And, uh, and so I think there's something that subconsciously held okay. from dealing, from doing that type of work. It was okay. like almost background work to what I do now. So this is Lewis. What a joy to spend some time with this gentleman. Um, as you can hear, he's uh, you know he's one of those guys that you you I could very easily have got away without speaking <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> Lewis, what's on what's on your what's in your craw at the moment? Wallop, go for it. Um, oh, that's just reminded me of uh, a brilliant Paul F. Tompkins bit of improv on an album about things being in your craw. And he, if you don't know uh, much Paul F. Tompkins, you should check him out. I've recently got, and this is by no means an advertise. Uh, and in fact, I'll, I'll obfuscate the name of the, uh, the thing. I've recently started uh, paying for one of those subscription music services, one which has a lot of uh, stand-up comedy on it. And uh, there's some brilliant Paul F. Tompkins stuff on there. He just goes off on a... It's, I love it when people release... Uh, comedy albums which clearly have them making mistakes and cocking about and making bad decisions and then commenting on them and so forth. There's a, I, I don't even know if, you, if it would be searchable, but if you're a fan of Paul F. Tompkins, listen out for the craw bit. Tickled me to remember that. But my point being, with Lewis, you absolutely just go, right, what's annoying you at the moment? Go. And vroom, off he goes. Now, loads more uh, stuff to come with Lewis. Uh, I need to tell you about a couple of things. Thank you to everybody that keeps getting in touch with me and donating and, and uh, supporting Supporting the show, there was a very nice girl ran up to me uh, on the street recently and said, uh, "Excuse me," and uh, I thought she was going to say that I dropped something. And she went, "Thanks for the podcast," and put a tenner in my hand. Thank you, mystery girl. You didn't need to run away that fast. I mean, I was with my partner and uh, and the boot tross as well, and so it was kind of you to to give us our privacy. But at the same time. You know, do feel free to say hi. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Thank you very much for that, whoever you may be. Um, you can get in touch at ComComPod, at ComComPod uh, on Twitter, and you can ask me questions and correspond with me. Uh, now that I'm in the arguably, I'm not going to say easiest, but maybe the softest part of the year as vis-a-vis -vis writing a show, because uh, I don't need to present a new hour of finished, a finished hour of stand-up comedy, an hour of finished comedy. <laughs> That's not a bad title. Remind me of that, please, roundabout uh, March. Um, but uh, I don't need to do that until next Edinburgh, next August. So I basically get the next two months, I allow myself the September to decompress a bit, and then October to try and put lots of uh, effort into 
future forward planning for the podcast, uh, world domination and so forth, global plans, uh, and then fire up the writing engine again in November. Wouldn't that be nice if secretly all along I had a writing engine and all of this was uh, an attempt to obfuscate that fact? Have I said obfuscate twice this time? I'm all over the place, as you can hear, and uh, in quite a fun way. I think probably the last few times I've spoken to you, I've been all over the place in a sort of stress Edinburgh fashion, and now I'm all over the place in quite a, a loose, happy fashion. So... Uh, my point being, thanks for getting in touch. Uh, one of the things I have to mention is a very exciting thing coming up on the horizon, uh, which is LA Podfest. Now, you will know if you're on the, the, the Comedians Comedian Facebook group where I, we can have a bit more personal contact. Um, you, I have recently been uh, asking for questions from you guys for two excellent guests who I'm going to record in LA. I should push myself to book a third as well, just while I'm over there, but I'm going to be doing lots of fun stuff. I'm going to be appearing on, uh, hopefully, Jimmy Pardo's podcast. That's in the diary. Uh, Jackie Cation's Dork Forest podcast as well, so look out for those if you're listeners to those excellent shows. I should be on them soon. Um, I'm also, hopefully, going to be recording uh, an episode of Comedy on Vinyl, which is uh, an ace podcast based in uh, LA as well. Um, And in amongst all of those, I'm going to be uh, interviewing live at LA podfest mr tim minchin which i'm so so stoked about i i knew it was potentially in the pipeline i was kind of waiting for a, for a definite confirmation and uh, obviously tim is far and away doing uh, you know musicals i believe he has an office at dreamworks is that even possible to to have that um talk about uh, writing engines um so he's a very busy guy, and when I wasn't sure whether or not it was definitely happening, uh, I started to listen on this particular subscription-based music service, which will remain nameless unless they wish to pay me, um, uh, and listening back to some of his, uh, his old live music albums. Oh, my God. They, I, there was definitely two or three moments per album that absolutely brought me to tears. There's a song called... Uh, not Perfect, which if you're not familiar with Tim Minchin's Not Perfect, I highly recommend you listen to it if you're someone like me who suffers and stresses uh, with the sorts of things I, I uh, suffer from and stress about, then uh, if you're a little bit like me, maybe you too will have a, a sort of a shaky hairs on the back of your neck moment listening to that song. But there's loads and loads of great stuff on there as well. I will be talking to Tim about all of those things and more besides when I interview him at LA Podfest. Now that is this coming weekend, the 23rd to the 25th of September, and if you're not able to be in LA and you don't want to wait for me to release the podcast and you want to involve yourself in all of the the myriad other podcast shows that are happening there the Kevin Pollock show never not funny will be there um uh, what else? Welcome to Night Vale. I'm going to be there. Cyril himself is going to be wandering around there. Um, but if you want to get in touch with all of this stuff, if you want to enjoy it all live as it's happening, you can go to lapodfest.com and you can buy a streaming pass. You basically get a discount pass. Uh, you get a pass that enables you to stream the entire weekend and they really go to great lengths to give you really good video content of the entire festival. Um, and if you even want to get a little discount on that, then you can add my special unique code, which is the word COMEDIAN in capital letters um which uh, means you get a little bit of a discount on that and i think i end up with some dollars some dollars <laughs> exciting things um so so that's that lapodfest.com and you can go along check out what's coming up there it's sort of even if you're not going to be able to uh, do the live streaming thing or or come to the festival it's just quite interesting just have a little look at that website and see some of the amazing stuff that's happening i'm forever saying that america is five to ten years probably ten to fifteen years ahead of us 
uh, in terms of podcasting. So it's really interesting to uh, have a little look around and see all of the other things that are available in the world of the magical internet. So there's that, and there's that. And talking about the podcast, do please check out um, a friend of mine and a friend of yours, uh, Tom DL, has been working behind the scenes here with me uh, at ComCom for a little while, sorting out and cleaning up uh, and re-somethinging, restructuring the mailing list uh, so that I can get in touch with you up to two times a year. Um, but Tom DL has been very kindly doing that, and he has his own podcast, which I've listened to. It's, uh, it's very funny. It's kind of nuts. It's called Bugler. B-U-G-L-R, and it's a fan podcast of an existing podcast. If you're a fan of The Bugle, then um, you will enjoy listening to other just hardcore superfans of The Bugle write sketches and do interviews and so forth uh, about The Bugle. It's nuts! I mean, it's funny. It really made me laugh. Some of the time that was in a kind of a you guys are insane kind of a way, but uh, there's some definite, there's some very good uh, genuine laughs there as well. So check out The Bugler, B-U-G-L-R. Have a little look at that, and that'll go some way towards, you know, it's just nice to, to help Tom out. He's done us uh, a lot of favours, done me a lot of favours. Um, so uh, please do go and have a little check that out. And I'm sure there are there's a definite percentage of you who that will absolutely appeal to, and there are other people who will feel like it's a bit too Inception. But, um, but I think it's very funny, so go and check that out. Before we get back to Lewis, um, last thing, yeah, you can email me, info at comedianscomedian.com, if you'd like to get in touch. Um, and uh, you can certainly donate. Here are what some nice people have been saying recently. Um, bah, 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 bah. Uh, I've discovered the podcast in the last six weeks or so, says Sam. I've been binging so much that a day now feels strange. If I haven't heard your voice, I'm sure the feeling is mutual. You're insane, Sam. Um, but thank you. And uh, he says, I've uh, recently started doing the open mic circuit, brought up the podcast in conversation with other actors every gig so far. So hopefully I'm helping to build the audience. That's very kind of you, Sam. Thank you. And of course, if you would like to support the show, if you'd like to send me a, a nice email or share it with a friend, share the show with a friend or grab their uh, their mobile device out of their pocket and, and show them what a podcast app is and select the show and subscribe to it on their behalf. That's very kind. If you would like your support to be more financially based, then by all means, please do that. At ComedianComedian.com, you can make a monthly recurring donation uh, of any amount that you see fit. One pound a month, two, five, ten in some cases. Thank you, my tens. God, what a bunch of legends. Um, and uh, and if you would just like to make a, a one-off donation, then just think about what the podcast means to you. Feel it in your bones. Let's just go with me now. Close your eyes. Oh, God, I'll tell you about Redacted. Uh, I will tell you all about that uh, in the waffle at the end of the show, should you still be around for it. But for now, just feel, feel through your body, feel the, the warmth that you feel towards this show, towards the interviews, towards what you've gleaned from them, what you've learned, if they've made you feel a bit less alone or funnier or more supported, and get that lovely warm feeling and convert that into a cold, hard, cynical number, uh, and then go to comedianscomedian.com and uh, support the show financially. That, you're, you're what's letting me do things like go to LA because I've been invited to the LA Podfest but they don't pay to send you over there and the flight's like 600 quid um, thank you uh, David who was a listener who has recently made a very sizable donation which has helped with that enormously um, so if you are uh, someone who's enjoying the show you'd like to support it you'd like to be able to send me off to do exciting things on our behalf and bring back the uh, uh, bring back the results uh, then please support the show by donating at comedianscomedian.com that's enough of that let's get back to lewis uh, and hear more from the wonderful lewis black 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Coming back to the, the stand-up shows, over the course of those shows, you are, you're known for your anger and you're known for the momentum and the kind of the pounding and that you've taken out that sort of arm of the chair a few times already. Yeah. Um, how much, how much kind of um, uh, breadth of emotion does that allow you within a piece of stand-up? I'm not quite sure. I well, I, I think I think it gives you a tremendous kind of energy on stage, and a really kind of it's, you're incredibly watchable because this person we're watching someone explode on mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. Over the course of 75 minutes, if we were to watch a play of someone exploding. It, it would be kind of almost melodrama. Right. But on, do you find, I, I suppose what I'm asking is, are there kind of different degrees of your anger that you can use on stage that you can kind of get a breadth yeah. of emotion? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the hardest one, which I found, I, 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 did, I, I can't remember the name of the, the, the DVD. The, uh, maybe in God, it was in God We Rust, I did. And I, and I consciously while doing this, uh, wanted to um, present other forms of anger. And so uh, that anger could be quiet, that anger was something that could be just, you know, you could get it across by gritting your teeth and spitting words out, and you didn't need to be screaming all the time. And, uh, and there's a lot of anger in that, 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 that uh, DVD. And, uh, and the response that I was getting, you know, when you get the, when they would respond to things or you, and you go to amazon.com to torture yourself because some son of a bitch in Phoenix doesn't like your work, <laughs> you know, a reviewer from the IHOP said, uh, so, and they were, and a, and a lot of them were all, oh, you know, he's really lost his touch. You know, he just, he's, he's tired. And I thought, fuck you. You know, you didn't listen. You, you, you know, so therefore, and, and, I, and in essence, in part, I brought some of that anger back because okay. I want it because I thought, OK, if that's the way you're translating it, yes. then either I'm not doing it as well as I could or, uh, you know, well, then I, missing the subtlety of it. Yeah. So is that that's interesting that you, that you would then bring it back. So is there an extent to which as well as being a, a vehicle to propel the, the momentum of the show along, your anger is almost, like that performative anger, is almost kind of a cage. 
Like, in the, it's something that you have to do. That's what people come to a Louis yeah. Black show for. Yeah, they want, do, to, they want to see me flip out. And is that frustrating, ever? You, sometimes you must not feel like flipping out. No, I don't. I always... There's always something. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, is there, always, is there always something on stage that you can flip out about? Because it, you can't walk around 24-7 being as angry as the... Oh, no, 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 no. God, that's the thing. I'd be dead. Uh, no one could be that angry all the time. But... What, what's intriguing is that, uh, that I began to realize is there's certain things, there's tr- trigger points, you know, like, uh, you know, like early in the morning, if I pick up the paper and I see that, you know, Donald Trump has spewed some more, more nonsense or I turn on CNN and they're, and they're doing really like a series of they have six talking heads explaining to me what I saw already <laughs> as if I'd never seen it before. <laughs> As if I, wow, I, I guess I was watching something else. Uh, you know, and I start to, it, the fervor starts. So, I mean, the, the, it, it starts to boil. But, but, what re, but, I, but I began to realize that a lot of what, that anger that comes out on stage, it, it may be, I may be yelling about Hillary or I may be yelling about uh, the weather or uh, pollen, which I have a tendency to scream about. And um, pollen, I may be, pollen, yeah. Pollen, okay. I have an idea for curing. I, I think that hay fever and all of those things could be cured. And I'm and if, if, you, if we just made bees without stingers, so you could shove them up your nose. <laughs> and then they would collect the pollen and take them to the plants. Because nothing that I've shot up, I'm shooting stuff up there, I'm trying everything, I've sent mini bulldozers, nothing is going to stop. I can see why that would make you angry. Yes. And so, so that kind of thing uh, you know, when, when, uh, that kind, when that season arrives, you know, I'm on stage and part of what I'm yelling about, I may be yelling about other things entirely, but I'm really yelling about the fact that the, uh, they medically have not found anything to help me. Okay. That's what I'm screaming about. We're screaming about the fact that when you call, when, that I've been on that phone that day trying to get uh, help from someone and there's no human voice and you know they no could you repeat your I'll repeat my number and here's my here's my stinking number and then you do all of that and you give it all the information and then you get the real person and then they ask you to repeat the same shit you told the machine yeah. so that and that just sits there and so all of that stuff sits in your stomach everybody's got that that collection it's the day builds the, the collection of crap that you've been through, some of it major, some of it not so major, but just enough so that when I get on stage, oh, yeah, no, it's going to come out. (laughs) It it would seem to me that there are two most apparent advantages to a creative person to, to have that anger, that facility for anger. One is that I wonder whether maybe you are happier in the rest of your life because you get to exercise all of that anger on stage nightly mm-hmm. then you get you get to blow off steam so you know you're not going home and punching holes in the wall because actually you're punching holes in the audience <laughs> yeah. um so that might be one one idea and the other is that i mean you you must never worry about running out of things to talk about because there's stuff in the world is always going to piss you off it's never going to be solved you're dealing with a, an insoluble problem yeah yeah, so no. in terms of, like, I've got to write a new show, oh, what am I going to write about? Well, I mean, I, I always do, but I always get that. That fear always occurs because I'm going to finish. Does it still? Yeah, because this election cycle is going to finish. And, uh, and all of <laughs> a sudden... Then it'll just be despair. <laughs> and, I'm, and all of a sudden, because I've just done a... I just did a CD of something. I've been working on this CD for three years, and it never, we never got it on as a special because we're, for a variety of reasons. 
and uh, that I could really yell about for 20 minutes. And then um, we got, uh, I have this, uh, you know, this chunk that I'm doing for the, that, that I did here in Montreal, which is essentially the beginning of the, what will, uh, I'm, I'm doing this show on Broadway and, um, and, and also my, my tour. This will be the show that I do until probably the election's over, maybe a few weeks past the election. Okay. And then there's certain chunks that I can hold on to. Yes. Of it. And, uh, and now I got to build stuff again. Now I got to, you know, so, and I, and right now that, and I look at that and I go, oh no, now I got to. Do you talk to me about that feeling? Because that I think is the reason I do this podcast is is out of a a kind of hoping that everyone else also feels like, oh God, now I've got to make more stuff. Well, yeah. So someone even in your, someone of your experience and with your facility for language, your experience as a playwright, your experience as a comedy writer, talk to me about that feeling of, oh God. I mean, is there an element of what if there's no more? Uh, Yeah. I mean, not, there, yeah, there's not a, but if there's no more, it's just, uh, what if, what if this is the moment that, uh, I'm, I'm yelling about, I go on stage and yell about stuff and the audience goes, well, you know, he's, he's really lost it. You know, this is, there's, I don't know why he's yelling about this. I think this yeah. is, I think this is wonderful. I think <laughs> this is a wonderful thing that's happening and I don't know why he's, so upset now. Like the audience are going to turn on you and go, we like Farmville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that, uh, no, I just, it's literally like, you know, the, the only kind of metaphor or whatever was, uh, you know, that's, it's got to be what these, you know, maniacs who, you know, left Europe and like, you know, Henry Hudson and the rest of these maniacs, Vasco da Gama, like just said, okay, we're going to go on the water and now we're just going to go and we don't really know what's out there. And that's what I feel like. I'm going, well, you know, what's out there? It, in, up until, I'd say up until about four years ago, it was, uh, I, and it, 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 it really uh, was always, something always came along immediately. And I went, oh, and as soon as something comes along, then I think, I know something else is coming down the track. But right now, um, I, I, and I usually have known what the next thing is. Like, I knew... Two, I knew two years ago probably that the uh, end of my act would be the end of my act now. Okay. I knew it. I knew Which that. is I what? What piece are you closing on at the moment? I'm closing on that, the, that I'm, it's the piece I'm going to close on for the next number of weeks. It's the piece I'll close on at the gala tonight. Okay. Uh, if I remember it. <laughs> um, is uh, the... Uh, I. I know it's difficult for many people who've watched my comedy for years to, to they probably don't know this about me or probably be stunned to find out that I wake up every morning brimming with optimism. And uh, I hope it gets a bigger laugh. <laughs> and, and so, and then I go into the fact that, uh, that I'm, uh, you know, that I feel like today is the day that my country figures it out, that okay. this is going to be the day. And I couldn't be happier. And I had a big grin on my face, you know, and I paraded because we've made all of these mistakes, mistake after mistake, after mistake, after mistake, after mistake. And today will be the day, even if it's just by accident, we stumble on and onto the right path. That how is it not possible for the richest, one of the most educated, for all of the, for all of the things that we think we're wonderful for? How is a country that this wonderful not be able to do it? Of course, today's got to be the day. And then, of course, I sit down 
and get a cup of coffee and I look at the front page of the paper and go, fuck! (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. (laughs) Now that... That, to me, seems to have almost like a genetic imprint of a Lewis Black bit, whereby you start off by saying, and it's about yourself, it's about your your own emotional experience, and you say something that we can't then, like, no one can leave the room, no one can get up to go for the bathroom until they find out what the thing is you mean. You say something that that we can't believe about you. And you just put that out there, and then you take us... It's almost like a, a sort of an elasticity. I was talking to Mark Forward, Canadian comic, yeah. about this yesterday, about once you know where the end of the bit is, you can walk the audience around the room with you yeah. and then bring them back to it. Yeah. And, and similarly, that bit is completely uh, imbued with your rhythm and your pace and all yeah. those kind of bit. That's, like, that's, a, that's a you bit. So talk to me about the moment when you go... What does that feel like when you go, oh... Oh, I'll do that. What, what is that? What are those? What are the, What is it that you're sensing when you're going? Oh, this is going to be one of my. Well, because the ending is, you know, that ending of your act is always the, you know, you got to kind of throw the final trump card down. So it's always this kind of, uh, you know, I got it. That's it. You know, it's got to be. That's it's. There's it, just it's exhilarating. And and what's great about this bit is that once you get what the bit will be, once you know, you know. I know the end, you know, mm. maybe tomorrow's going to, you know, is going to. So up until that point, that this bit, which is now I'll, when I do it tonight, will be, you know, a minute and a half or something. By the, and then I'll, I'm going to take it on the road and then I'm going to screw around with it because it allows me because it's one of those things that allows me from once I talk about brimming with optimism till I get to the end, I can go down. There's yes. 10 paths I can go down and I can try them and. And if nothing's working, I can get right out of it. Because a lot of what writing on stage has been, a lot of what saves the writing, uh, you know, makes it possible, is that uh, I know, uh, because of working in clubs for a long time, how to bail really quickly. So if, the, if this is not working and I find myself kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm in my little, you know, uh, rowboat and the water's happen to be <laughs> leaking and I've I'm, I'm got my spoon and I'm getting it out, uh, I know how to get out of it and go to what's funny. Yes. That I've got something in my pocket that's going to be funny. So there was a bit that I saw you do on a Back in Black segment on The Daily Show, which was, uh, it was around the time of Osama being got. And your, I think it was, um, the bit was that they had discovered Osama's poetry or his writings. Yeah. And you, and I'm just referring to my notes here, but you had a beautiful inversion whereby you were writing about uh, the starting point of the bit, if not the thought, the starting point of the bit was that Osama bin Laden was concerned about the environment. And yes. you took us on this wonderful <laughs> journey whereby the end of the bit, and I'm butchering it here yeah, for right, the sake yeah, of analysis, right. whereby the end of the bit was this was Osama's plan to destroy the USA <laughs> because he knows the environment is tanking. So, But if he publicly cares about it, he knows Americans will disagree with whatever he wants and they'll drive <laughs> the environment right. into the ground and he'll have won. Yeah. And that is a Fan, uh, that is a, just a phenomenal journey. With something like that, I was kind of watching it with my sort of comedy analysis brain on, kind of going, which bit did you start with? You must have started with the well, factual information. Well, here's what's intriguing. And this is... Uh, uh, this is... Uh, let's keep this a secret. <laughs> no, the thing is, is that I don't... I uh, That was written uh, for me. 
Okay, okay. A lot of what goes on at The Daily Show and has for years has been uh, they, because it's, they know what they want me to do. So I'm the guy, you know, so they bring me in at certain times and they, ever since John came on and began to really micromanage it in a good way, I think, for the, for the good of the show. And not for me, but for the good of the show. Uh, it, 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 there was a couple of producers there who were just complete pricks. And they took, in essence, the writing out of my hands. And, and I never wrote the whole thing by myself because they really did come up with what, 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 you know, what John wanted that to be. I mean, he would craft those shows, those shows much like you craft a set of comedy. He would go, bum, bum, and let's bring Lewis in because this is a good place to, mm-hmm. to have it. Or sometimes when it was really bleak, when it was bleak, bleak, and then, like, we'll have Lewis come in and yell for a while. <laughs> so that would be... But, but so the, the so a lot of what my input was for for a while there was not except the the producers not John but the producers themselves would push away so I just let them do it and I said okay fine I'll come in I'll act it and uh, but what there were a number of those writers like the guys who wrote this um, the folks who did it were uh, were really uh, got got my get my voice so it becomes easy and now. And even with that, I could, uh, you know, I, I, I helped punch it up. Sure. But they, you know, but it was really their, you know. Okay. It was their basic overall design. Okay. You know? Well, I well, well liked, done for admitting that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you got to. You know, I think, I think people who write well deserve credit. Yes. And they, and they have written well in your voice as well. That's quite interesting. That must be a very strange experience. Not something I've experienced as a comic is to have someone write for me in my voice. Yeah, that must be the first time that happens. Do you get? Was there anything unusual about that? Was there anything extraordinary about going? All oh, right, this is how I'm seen. Or are you so secure in? in well, knowing- it's that kind of thing. It's that's here's what my prison has produced. Here's what your the prison that I'm in. Yes, my little anger <laughs> prison. That's what it produces. You know. Okay. So it wasn't. It was like oh, I get it. And I'm glad, and I'm I'm glad they can see it. And what's, and because the whole thing has always been from the very beginning. I bro- when I broke into stand up, really, it was the, it was the year of the sitcom, and it was everybody wanted a sitcom, and everybody there was everybody was getting a deal, and and I wasn't, and I was thinking, well, you know, I have all the things they want. I have a character, an established character. We know that the, what the character's parameters are. It's all there, and. Uh, how come nobody wants to to do me? And uh, and so I always knew that the, the that I built this you know I built this prison. I mean the prison is in part the fact that I'm you know it, it took a long time for me to really realize this, but that I'm that's when I, I'm funniest when I'm angry. That's when I'm really funny. When you say it took you a long time to realize that, do we should we interpret from that that when you started off doing your stand up bits in you know open mic guitar nights and stuff like yeah. that? It took you a while to discover the anger. So what were you doing stuff that was kind of Lewis Black without the anger beforehand? Yeah. What kind oh, yeah. of stuff was that? Well, I mean, what it, was... Was, it, it was just the delivery in part. Uh, I was, the, the kind of, well, I, it began with, I mean, I told, the, the first stories that I told that were funny, that people really laughed at and became the basis of the initial part of my act for a long time, and I really never took him on the road. Uh, eventually, by then I developed stuff, but it was all about my sex life. Really? Yeah, I told. I, but I, you know, what a lot of comics do. Yeah. Because I had some really, a lot of funny stuff happened. 
I mean, so, so, uh, so, it, and then, uh, and then I would try other things. Like, I mean, I would just get up and read. There'd be six people like now, the, the equivalent, there'd be, there were six people running for the presidency at some point, And I wrote, I wrote a speech for each one of them. And I'd just get up and read the speeches that I wrote for them okay. and stuff like that. And, uh, but the, 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 the thing that was in, that I realized and it took a, was, is that I was on stage and a lot of the stuff that I was angry about, um, I wasn't, since I wasn't yelling, I was sitting on the anger. So there's nothing kind of maybe even creepy. It, it's yes. kind of creepy. We you know, can't laugh like, at it because I'm like, you're too upset. I'm way upset and I'm not letting it go. And I'm like, and it's just not a, it's not a good delivery. That's really interesting to think that you're the, the, the shoutiness of it, the explosive nature of it is actually a doorway into it, into us being able to laugh at it. Yeah. And what I would do when I finally started yelling was is because it was so new to me, except in my, uh, my, my parents, except when I was with my family, because we would just yell at each other. That's part of the thing. And a lot of what I got in terms of that, where this all comes from, and I'll, I'll lie down now and, and explain it to you, is, is from my mother, who is uh, who's the angriest person on the planet Earth. And I'll, t- I'll put her up against anybody. And, I, and I'm serious. You have never, and, and cynical. That lovely, sweet-looking lady yeah, oh, yeah. in her 90s that's visible yeah. in the audience. 90, that 97. 97. 97 and still full of venom. Yeah, and the, I mean, I have to say. <laughs> they just, I'll throw this out because you can, this will show your audience just how much of a heart you have. But they, uh, uh, they just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> That's lovely. In the in the in the uh, the DVD that you have, Old Yeller, they're sitting in the yeah. Borgata Theatre, and uh, the, in the first, you refer to them in the first five or ten minutes. Your dad's paintings are up, yeah. you know, the, the backdrop for the stage. It's a beautiful thing to watch, and it and it cuts back to them reacting, and everyone yeah. gives them a round of applause, and it cuts back to them smiling. And then I have to say, for the rest of the DVD, I wanted to see their reaction on every <laughs> single joke. You know, it's like cut to his mum and dad. How are they taking this? <laughs> So that, so talk to me about that. So you're, you're, because I was wondering if you did have a template, if this anger of yours is a performative mechanism, as well as an honest facet of your life, but the performative, the explosive anger, I did wonder if you, if that was a template, it was based on a teacher or something. So well, your, no, it, your was, it was my, it was, uh, a lot of it was my mother, you know, because she, uh, she just had, she was, she had sarcasm down, she had cynicism down and, and she would, you know, we'd be watching the, the footage of the Vietnam War and she'd be screaming, just, you know, screaming through dinner, which was good because it distracted us from the fact that she couldn't cook. <laughs> and um, I mean, to give you an idea of the level, how deeply uh, uh, cynical my mother is, is that uh, she, we would always kind of yell about the cooking because it was, I mean, it was... It was really, as I said, it prepared me for institutional cooking. People would hate, we'd go somewhere, you know, you'd, go, you'd get to your college cafeteria and people would be disgusted and they'd go, this is the best food I've ever eaten. <laughs> but so she one night cooked um, this fish dish, a Hawaiian fish dish. I'll never forget it. It was like totally out of character. And it took time and it had to be prepared and it was unbelievable. And we all went, God, that's great. Um, and she said, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, 
you're never going to see that again. <laughs> she said, I just wanted you to, to know that I could do it. And, and, and now that, and I wanted you to know that I could do it. And, uh, uh, um, if I wanted to, but I don't want to. <laughs> That's kind of where it comes from. So, it, so are, are there? A, do you have any other models of of the the? Because I mean, it does, would she explode? Would she shout in the way that you shout on stage? No, I, I mean, she would kind of. She was more barking. Uh, we, we had a different approach to it. I mean, I what I did was kind of. Uh, and none of this was conscious. So I, what I did was kind of take that, and then you watch Carlin, and then you watch Lenny Bruce, and you watch Pryor, and those guys, and you get a bit of it from that. And I didn't even do it from them. That all was loaded into the thing. And, in a, and this it, literally what occurred was, it was quite simple. It was as I was working, I ran a club in New York City where we did a lot of theater, but every Friday, every Saturday night, we did a free show of comedy. And, and I would literally just take the newspaper and I'd rip, I didn't even work on stuff. I would just rip things that I thought were going to be funny and rip them out of the paper and throw them down. And it'd be a stack of them. And I'd just go through them and throw them on the floor and yell about stuff. Not even, not, but just talk about them, not yell. And a friend of mine, Dan Ballard, who is a comic from Michigan, uh, came up and after he saw me that night and he, he came up to me. I had to go back on stage later. And he said, um, he said, I'm yelling on stage and none of my act is angry. He said, you're nothing but anger. So when you go back on stage, I just want you to start yelling. I want you to yell your act. And I did. And that was that. And that was, and then it took five, six, seven years to, to, to kind of modify it, you know, so, to, so that I, you know, because my friend Kathleen Madigan said that uh, initially when she worked with me that uh, it was unbelievable because I, I literally wouldn't, Apparently, I didn't notice, but I didn't. I wouldn't get a laugh for the first five minutes because everybody was taking. I was because I was coming on full charge. Okay. I was coming on. I'm going to yell, and I'm yelling, and I'm yelling, and I'm yell some more. And now we're going to yell, and, and then so there were five minutes, and then she said, by about the seventh minute, they'd get, oh my god, uh, it, this is funny. Uh, he, he's not really serious because I mean I was screaming about what a big fat, fat fuck uh, Al Roker is, you know, and the, like as angry as you could be about anything, and uh, and somehow that uh, eventually I was able to kind of go, oh, okay. Having found you had that weapon, you had to then learn to yeah, yeah learn to it, yeah, modulate, right, yeah. Okay. Does it does it ever prevent you from celebrating things on stage? Does it prevent? Does the fact that we want a particular thing from you, that anger. Does it mean that there is stand-up you can't do? Have you ever, had to, have you ever written something and thought, this isn't going to work for me because it's too positive? There's no way to get angry about it. No, I, I, I don't mind stopping because I can step out. You know, I'm, I don't pretend there's a wall there, so that helps. You know, so I can always talk to them directly. I mean, I do a lot. You know, I'll, I'll find myself screaming about something and I know that I've gone over the line. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll turn to them and say, well, wow, I've... I think you let me go too far. <laughs> and, um, so I always have, I've always in the beginning kind of have them in cahoots with what I'm up to. So I can kind of step out. The okay. podcast, the podcast, the, the, uh, the streaming thing that we do uh, allows me to, to do that. I can talk about whatever I want. Part of the reason we did that was so that I could try other things, you know. 
Yes. And you, we were just talking backstage about the fact you don't have a manager. You have a guy who's the head of your yeah. online yeah, yeah, the, presence. Uh, the, yeah, the presence. And I, I was, I'm glad I discovered that because I was remarking to a friend this morning over breakfast that you have the most recently updated website of any comedian I've ever seen. Yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're constantly. Nobody knows. You, well, you're the only one who's seen the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody looks at the websites anymore. I don't know why I have a website. I have it because years from now when they unearth... Uh, you know, when they go through the detritus of the in- original internet and they go, oh, wow, now that was a website. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone really should check out lewisblack.com. It's, it's a great website. It, well, one of the things it's got is this, it's lewislive.com is, the, is where you, if, you, if you go there, you can actually find, or you go to my website, uh, which it, it will basically, uh, you, the, 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 the three streams on, two or three streams that are, on every week that are old, you know, the things that I'd done two or three weeks ago. And like, people can interact with them and suggest things for you to write Well, eventually, when, when, they, uh, when we're going live, yeah. yeah. But then you, what, what folks get online is, the, um, uh, is, the, is the, the event itself, you know, so they can watch 25 minutes of it. And, uh, and then, but when, I'm, when we're live streaming, there's an interaction. They can, um, they can either text me questions or uh, folks who are like, I mean, it goes throughout the world, and uh, so so I get stuff from like uh, you know Germany with people yelling about what we're doing, and a Norwegian who has a suggestion for us, and uh, and then I get stuff from Americans, and it's it's where I think this thing is going to evolve to. It's I'm going to certainly push it more in this direction if I can. Is I'm trying to get. And this will irritate half of the people who, because they're always like, well, why am I writing my stuff for you? Well, I didn't ask you to write it. Okay, I'm talking to people who are interested. You're, you're not, so shut the fuck up. And uh, so is to try to get more of, uh, of the rants, the, 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 the personal rants that people have about what, what's a matter with their lives. Because those are actually when they're, especially when it comes to, I mean, what's amazing is I don't work in an office. So what am I going to make up shit mm-hmm. about it? I didn't. I never worked in an office. I don't know how people do it. I did it for one year, and I told the stories of that way, way early on when I was a comic. And maybe I'll bring those stories back. But it's, uh, I, I don't do it. So I get stuff when I get these things about people who there's this woman and she couldn't be more pissed in her cubicle because the woman next to her chews on ice all the time, <laughs> and it's driving her ape shit. And I'm kind of reading this stuff, and the audience goes nuts. Yes, because okay. they all relate to that jackass in that cubicle. And you can bring your opinions to bear on something without needing to present it as something you've been through right, personally, yeah, exactly. which wouldn't ring true. Yeah, you're really—you seem to be really ahead of the curve on new media, which is—and I've not heard of any other act kind of going. Oh, I don't, I don't need a manager. What I need is an online content person. Yeah. What What is driving that? Is it a desire to be seen by everyone? Is it a desire to? be more relevant or to make more money or to travel less? Where, where does that aspect, well, where does that part come from? No, it comes from, uh, 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 it, it really comes from the fact that uh, nobody gave me a TV show. Right. That's my TV show. And it's, uh, it's like uh, 1956. I mean, I literally am standing up there and this is all new and I'm trying to create a show. So... After doing 150 shows, I realized that what I like best were these. I mean, I have stuff. Uh, I've got a, I, I always bring this up as an example. There's a Mormon kid. He's turning 18. He's got to ch- tell the community whether he's going to be a Mormon or not. And he sends me a 10 to 12-minute diatribe 
about how much of why he's leaving the Mormon religion. It is absolutely scathing. It is brutal. It is honest. Uh, and it's very personal. And it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to read it. Uh, it's unbelievable what it did. It, it gave the kid, uh, you know, as Oprah would say, it empowered him. Um, which is just, a, I hate that word. And then, because um, then he was, and then he got all buffed up because I empowered him. It's like, it's like personality steroids or some <laughs> shit. Um, so, uh, so it really was something that he could, uh, you know, it, 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 and it, the response was staggering to it. Uh, and, um, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, uh, that you can find out more about to me it's never been about my act has never been people always say you're a political comic and yes to a point but really to me what it's about is not so much these people who i think are just beyond who are reprehensible on so many levels it's about uh what what they want you know what what their uh idea of the world should be uh, and what that will do to the people in that world that that's what I want to get to. So that's always been the drive. It's more to me. It's always been if I'm on my game, it's more social uh, satire than political satire. And what those emails would allow, or you know, what the what the rants that they, they sent him would allow me to get at that faster. Because I, you know, and you go into a town and you don't realize, you know, they'll they'll write you stuff that's happening in the town. You go, my God, you know, that you don't, you know, you don't see. You know, they, because, you know, you know, it's, it's one thing that what's happening on a broad level, what's happening in some local communities is like uh, beyond belief, you know, of, of the kind of laws they're trying to, you know, it's the, the, you know, the law in Indiana, this is, you know, the governor, Mike Pence wanted to pass a law that would say uh, that um, you had to pay 150 bucks if you had a a miscarriage or a uh, abortion and you're in order to bury your child or your miscarriage or abortion. So um, you kind of go, you know, and unless and, and unless you kind of, you know, you just can't even keep up with what's out there. So you hope that, you know, maybe if I could develop an audience that really kind of wanted to communicate with me and, and each other, that'd be, you know, you know, that's as good a way to spend a half hour as the, you know, as me kind of looking for, ooh, where could I take a vacation? I do a lot of that now. I, that's how I, I kind of decompress. Before well, look, we, I could go there. Before we wrap up, Lewis, thank you so much. I just want to ask you, your, 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 um, your strong suits, your superpowers as a comic are very, very apparent. What do you consider your weaknesses as a comic to be? What things do you wish were, that you had a better grasp of within stand-up, within the form? Um, my song stylings. <laughs> you know, I uh, just, you know, I I try to play the auto harp, and uh, I just am never able to do my the music and my voice as well together. Um, you know, I like to do madrigals. Uh, they're so rarely Ask seen. The question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I I think my softest suit as a comic is I don't know how to write a one-liner. Right. Now, if you came to me, if I watched your act, I could help you get to that. 
But my, in my own head, I, I, every so often, I, I, I know how to make an audience laugh. I don't know how to do that. That's my worst. I don't construct. Those come, literally, that's what I'm learning when I'm on stage. I go, oh, okay, there it is. Uh, that's, there's a one-liner. There's something about writing one-liners which is just such a badge of... It's like a scout badge. As a, a comedian, yeah. you go, yep, got my one-liner badge. That's yeah. like, that means I'm proper. No, I've just never been good at it. I, it yeah. was not the way that I learned. I mean, I look up at Kathleen or David Tell... Uh, Wilmot's got it. You know, there's people who, Dom Herrera's got it. There's a ton of folks who really, and uh, I I just don't have it, you know. You know, I think my, my parents, you know, left me bereft. <laughs> you know, they, you know, my, my, my mother's screaming if my father, my father actually is probably closer to the one-liners. I'll leave you, this is a, an example, is that, and, and really succinct. My father doesn't talk much because my mother's, my mother's like his commissar, and and he, she's like the press secretary. <laughs> so, um, but when he gets a chance, so he's he was hospitalized recently, and uh, they wanted the doctor wanted to make sure that his brain was okay and uh, everything was in order, and so the doctor came in and said, uh, um, uh, who, um, "What day is it? Do you know the date?" And he's lying in bed, and there's a chart there with the date on it, and he goes. <laughs> and then they said, who's the president? And he went, of which country? <laughs> and then, and then, and then the, guys, the guy said, well, who's the president of the United States? And he goes, I don't really care about him. I really like his wife. <laughs> and he said, who's his wife? And he went, Michelle. And that was that. Incredible. Yeah. Um, we must wrap up. I think we're going to lose the room very soon. Okay. Um, my last question. Are you happy? <laughs> uh, this was a, I, I'd have to say that I've been through it. I'm generally, uh, you know, generally I'm, I find myself to be somewhat happy. Somewhat. Um, I just came through an era, and a time frame in which I was uh, somewhat depressed, but and, and it lasted longer than than normal. And I think it that might have to do with my parents getting old and a lot of other considerations. And uh, but I, you know, I generally consider myself uh, to be somewhat somewhat happy. I, I think I think it's stupid. I'm not happier considering. So there's something to be angry about, even in that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Lewis Black. So that was Lewis. Oh, man, it's such a pleasure to spend time with him. And, uh, and I'm really, I've got some more live ones coming up. As I mentioned, Tim Minchin uh, coming up very soon at LA Podfest. So you can use the discount code COMEDIAN to stream uh, an episode with a discount. Uh, to stream the entire festival, I should say. That's what you get uh, for, for your money, for your, for your live streaming voucher. Um, and other live ones coming up as well. Hopefully uh, some more with Soho Theatre. I'm already kind of pre-booking guests for that. I've got some really exciting curveball guests coming up for you. Uh, more on them as and when they're confirmed. Lots more episodes to come. I'm absolutely swimming in episodes at the moment. Cameron Esposito, Mark Forward, John Robbins. Uh, we've got Luis Ugola, uh, Carmen Lynch. Loads more exciting people. Chris Gethard. I will probably stick out Chris Gethard next because that is an absolute belter and probably a 2 part because we talked for ages 
and ages. And what a lovely bloke he is. So lots of exciting things to come. Uh, do donate to support the show if you would like to at comedianscomedian.com. Get in touch at comcompod or info at comedianscomedian.com and I will speak to you soon. That concludes the podcast part of this podcast. Okay, so did I already talk to you? For those of you who are new to this bit, this is just me uh, rambling on. Um, and uh, and you can't feel shortchanged by this because uh, this isn't the show. <laughs> this is the this is the postamble, like a preamble. This is I've just you might have heard that I've just sat down into a, a quite a comfortable armchair. So couple of things to talk to you about. Lovely article in The Guardian. Thank you very much to Rachel Aroesti, I believe you pronounce her name, sorry if that's wrong, um, who wrote a very lovely thing in The Guardian Guide. We had like a two-page spread and it went out and very few people got in touch with me, like friends and stuff. And I was like, oh, oh, right, OK. No, I was quite proud of that. I thought uh, more people would get in touch. And then it went up online a couple of days later and loads of people texted me and said nice things, which just goes to show print media is dead. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I, I very much hope it survives in some form, but but um, uh, that was that was really nice and uh, good for my soul. So it was nice to talk about the podcast in a sort of uh, uh, a, a bigger, wider context. Um, this weird thing happened during the interview, whereby in the in the printed thing, it looked a bit like I was slagging off Richard Herring, which I didn't mean for that to happen at all. I love Richard, as you know. I've had him on the show. I've been on his podcast, um, and uh, I've been a fan of his for years and years. I think I was trying to make the point that his podcast, Rahelisper, Rahelisper, as all the cool kids down the skate park are calling it, um, I was just trying to make the point that what he does and what I do are very different. His is sort of very funny, entertaining show where he really thrives on awkwardness and uh, and gets laughs out of, uh, you know, putting people in challenging positions and ridiculous questions. And, uh, and mine is a much sort of gentler, blander, <laughs> sort of less funny, uh, let's uh, put a, uh, uh, some sort of professorial hat on and, and get to the bottom of this kind of a show, the very different things. And somewhere along the way, that ended up coming out a little bit like, uh, like I was slagging him off, which, I mean, I don't think it even did, really. It just it felt a bit odd in the, in the mouth, kind of reading it back. Um, and but the, the problematic thing for me was that lots of people in the comments section underneath, someone said, uh, I can't remember what the word, someone was like, who's this clown, who's this cod psychological bullshit, which is an absolutely fair criticism. But, um, you know, I am plan- planning on sending that link to people for maybe the next six months. So uh, I would certainly... Like if you if you fancy commenting on it and saying I really enjoy the community's opinion podcast or words to that effect, please do so. Don't I'm not I'm not going to do one of those things like when they they people on Twitter go this person slagged me off get them. I just felt there were some fans of Herrings underneath the uh, the article who seemed to take umbrage with a perceived slight when there was no such thing there. And I'm just all I'm saying is it would be really nice if the comments underneath that article were. Uh, yes, ComCom is good, <laughs> rather than, oh, yeah, who does he think he is? So, um, I don't know, y- you know, check it out, see what you think. But uh, this is by no means, this is not a who will rid me of these troublesome, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Thomas a Beckett type situations. Um, but uh, I was very pleased with that. So if you haven't read that, have a, have a little look at that. You can find that via The Guardian using the search engine of your choice. Um, I, oh, for heaven's sake, if you are going to say anything on it, please don't, go hard or say anything in unison or say, oh, Stu told me this is, um, in fact, is this a terrible idea? Should I just not fucking mention it? No, I've got to come out of my shell and go, look, all I'm saying is I'm proud of this thing. I'm slightly frustrated that it seemed to come across, that some people read it, that I was uh, being mean about Herring's podcast. So there we go. That's on record. That's, that is all I wish to say. Um, so... 
other things to ramble about. What did I think? Oh, God, dread. Let's talk about dread. I was having a conversation with my friend Hazel the other day, and she said, you must be looking forward to L.A. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I am. Obviously, I am. I'm excited to go. But um, I, I don't know if I was really looking forward to it, because the, the thing that was clouding it in my mind is the sort of pre-podcast nerves that I have about interviewing uh, Mr. Minchin and Ms. Bamford. And that's crazy. I'm a genuine fan of their work. I love their stuff and I've listened to it for pleasure many times. And yet I still have that kind of pre-interview dread, which is nonsense. And uh, and my friend Hazel said to me, uh, oh, that's a shame. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a shame. She said, how do those things, how do the, the interviews occur to you? And uh, on, upon clarification, she pointed out what she meant was, how do they, how, what do I think of when I think of those interviews? And uh, she said, you know, are you happy to be meeting people of whom you are a fan and whom you're interested, excited by their work? And I said, no, mostly the first thing in my head is that, oh, God, this is a really good opportunity to accidentally say the wrong thing and insult someone I'm a fan of or reveal that I'm not this comedy expert that a lot of people seem to think I am, or kind of, do you know what I mean? Give, give myself away, that whole imposter syndrome thing of going, oh, I'm, I'm going to somehow give myself away. And she said, oh, and she sort of rolled her eyes, or kind of raised her eyebrows and went, well, that's a shame. And it is a shame, it is a shame. I would much rather, come on, on paper, wouldn't you rather live your life feeling excited about things and then stuffing them up and doing a bad job than you would live your life dreading things and then doing them perfectly. What a ludicrous way to live a life. Holy shit. Tell you what was good. Uh, on a on a similar but related topic, I did a gig in Haywards Heath last night, and uh, fun little uh, gig. I was on with Tom Ward; he was very good. And uh, who else was on? Chris McCausland, who is, I mean, he was headlining and is just a, a sensational observational comedian. He's just absolutely straight down the line. Brilliant observation! Bang, 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 bang. Great. Lovely lineup, lovely bill. I was emceeing, and I was in that, that place I mentioned. I'm in the kind of decompressing post-Edinburgh month at the moment. Um, I did all the thank yous last, last month, but if you did come to the show, thank you again. Uh, more news of the tour and an exciting Australian thing, hopefully, to come very soon. Um, but I, um, I really... Uh I really relaxed on stage, I suppose, because partly because I felt like I didn't have any material other than the, the tour stuff, which I've been saying a lot recently. But I, obviously it's too new to have written any sort of banging new solid stuff since Edinburgh. Plus I was emceeing, so I sort of thought, well, it'd be sensible for me to use this as an opportunity to just play a bit and, you know, chat to the audience. But also I think when I play on stage, when I muck about, it can easily become audience chat in which you kind of put things together and join the dots in a fun kind of way and it's all very funny and everyone loves it but it's not anything you can use in future you know unless you turn it into some awful one time at a gig this person said and I'm really not interested in doing that so I was trying to push myself to just be really loose on stage and talk about what was on my mind in much the manner this is this is a hashtag some of it's rubbed off <laughs> thing, um, but yeah, you know a lot of a lot of the comics that I speak to, some ones that I really really like and respect, sort of say, oh, you know, I don't write anything down, just talk about things I care about. And lo and behold, I don't know if I'm sort of finally ready for this next phase, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed myself. I was just sort of talking. I talked a bit about age and aging, and and I talked a little bit about. What else? I wrote it down afterwards, so I'm not going to panic that I can't remember it. But just things that were preoccupying me. And 
and like willfully and we ended up talking about when you willfully refuse to watch a tv series because everyone else is watching it and how fun that is that some people myself included sometimes kind of take a, a perverse delight in not being involved and that feels like quite a me subject so i sort of chat improvised around that for a bit chatted improvised made stuff up I mean, they were they were a lovely audience with whom I'd made a fairly strong connection in the first half. So I wasn't, I, you know, I felt they were still getting the money's worth out and just endlessly cocking about. But um, but it was quite fun because it ended with me saying, "Well, like it was it was funny, funny, funny." And then the last thing I said was not particularly funny, um, and I knew I had to get Chris on for the end of the gig. So uh, I think I wrapped that bit up by saying, "Well." I mean, what we can learn from this, word to this effect, I say something, what we can learn from this is that Goldsmith is getting much more comfortable on stage with no material, and that can only be good for the audiences of tomorrow. The audiences of tomorrow is quite a good uh, uh, title for something, is it? Is it? Who knows? Last thing, uh, Ken Dodd. I went to see Ken Dodd live. Thank you for everyone who has contributed to the Ken Dodd Fund, which we ran a couple of months ago, um, in order to for me to take a night off earning money on a weekend and travel some hundred miles. I went to Torquay uh, and I saw Ken Dodd in the Palace Theatre, which is a perfect place to see him. Good God! <laughs> I mean, look, I loved... He's incredible. He's clearly incredible. He's 88. He walks out on stage banging a drum, crazy hair. I mean, he's way more clowny in the, in the flesh than I was expecting him to be. Um, and the, there was short jokes, short punchline-type one-liners. There was big, long, shaggy dog stories. There was a mix of in-between. There was a, a sort of a 20-minute interlude where a, a, a couple came on and did some... Uh, someone online described it, sorry, the Facebook group described it as kind of Eastbourne Hotel-type entertainment, which it was, with all due respect to them, but it was, uh, it was kind of like uh, dueling banjos with a, a banjo and a recorder. And it was of a very high standard. But it wasn't sort of a comedy show. It wasn't what I'm used to seeing in the middle of a comedy show. Um, and Dodd was a ma- I mean, case in point, he goes, and now a musical interlude with a very pretty young lady and a rather plain man. He's funny. He's very, very funny. I will try to get in contact with his people. If you are friendly with Mr. Dodd uh, or his people, or you are one of his people, please uh, drop me a line. Info at comedianscomedian.com, as you well know. And... Um, uh, it was really, it was really exciting and interesting to be in such a different audience, such a different gig environment. Absolutely, one hundred percent stand-up comedy, and yet a million miles away from anything I'm used to. So I've said this before: when you, if, particularly if you're a comic listening to this, try sitting in an audience every so often. It's so easy to stand behind the crowd and watch the sort of observe the gig without really watching it without really participating in it and it was just a good reminder to change things up so i think uh, i'm going to start doing some sort of regular visits to comedy related comedy gigs and comedy related things that i don't normally go to just to try and you know spread the uh, i was going to say spread my wings I'm going to spread my wings by sitting in a room <laughs> uh, but you know just sort of broaden my horizons a little bit so that was that was fun as well um, I feel like it's been a while since I had a proper ramble. I think that's all I've got to say for the moment. It'd be good to not dread things. Isn't that ridiculous? Like, take Maria Bamford. I'm going round to Maria... I've, I've been working on this for a year. <laughs> I'm going round to Maria Bamford's house and interviewing her in her house in Los Angeles, which is so exciting. She is such a phenomenal talent. From what I've seen, seems to be... I've never met her before. She seems to be a lovely person. She is absolutely in the bullseye of the multitude, the various Venn diagram circles of, uh, of what I'm interested in comedy. 
and and what this podcast is interested in pursuing. And uh, and if you haven't been watching Lady Dynamite on Netflix, please get stuck into that. Absolutely brilliant. Pat Oswalt cameo in the first episode, and uh, just a really interesting meta approach to a sitcom about the life of a comedian. So so funny. And do download her albums. Oh my god, I've been re-listening to some Bamford, and she's great. So. I'm this huge fan of Maria Bamford. By all accounts, she's lovely. We have mutual friends. And yet, I'm feeling all sketchy and worried because I've got to go and do a podcast and I'm scared of doing the right thing. I'm scared of saying, saying the wrong thing. God, what a life. I'm doing it for you, guys. I'm doing it for you, the single listener. Uh, you are the only one. And it's all for you. That's all for now. Uh, lovely to talk to you. I'll speak to you very soon. Cheerio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.